Welcome to The Porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. The Porch Online Bible Study takes a deeper look into their service to the kingdom of God. And our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world's shaking influence of the early church. By digging deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, not the one man created, the one that we need right now. Church age is not over, and what happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, with Jesus, and you want more, then you're welcome to join us on this journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, visit FireFallTalkRadio.com, use the contact button, or write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, T-H-E-P-O-R-C-H, at FireFallTalkRadio.com. If you'd like to support what we do on the main page for Firefall Talk Radio, there are ways to do so. If you need more information, just reach out to us, and we'll make sure that you get it. We appreciate your support and encouragement for those of you that do, and we hope that more of you would. So welcome. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others in the porch community, just let us know and we'll plug you into the prayer email list. If you're on social media, look us up. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us there, there as well as on YouTube under the Firefall Network. Something I want to share before we go forward with this lesson about uh, Passover. A lesson I learned the hard way over the years is that we're not promised tomorrow. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. The manna in the wilderness was only good for one day except on the before the Sabbath. So the blessings are daily are Lives should be focused on cherishing today. Cherish people today. Don't let the cares of this world steal the special everyday moments that the Lord gives us. Don't let the anxieties and worries that weigh us down take your focus off of the sunshine and blessings of today. As the Lord said in Matthew 6.34, Don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So if no one has told you, you are loved and special, and I'm telling you today. Father, we love you every day, every moment, every hour, every minute. We love you because you first loved us. You loved us even when we were unlovable. You didn't turn your back on us. You made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. So we thank you for that. We thank you for that love. We thank you for fixing things so that we could be redeemed, restored into right relationship with you. And we thank you for Yeshua, your only begotten son, whom you sent to do that for us, to pay for our sins so that we could be restored. We thank you for that. We thank you that you loved us that much to do that for us. Now, Lord, you you paid the price, the pain, the shame, everything that went with it. You did it. 
You gladly did it for us. So we thank you. We love you. We worship you. You are everything to us. Without you, life has no meaning. We need you. We need more of you. I know I do. Every day I tell you that. I need more. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who you sent to guide us, to teach us, to remind us, and to walk with us and encourage us. So thank you, Holy Spirit. So we we just thank you for our homes, our families, our pets, our possessions. Everything that we have is from you. We ask that you right now comfort those who need comfort. Send your angel, send your spirit, shine your glory down upon them. If they need healing, give them healing. Bless us and protect us. Keep us from evil and the evil one. Bless this technology. Guide us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want tonight. Touch everybody listening. Reach down into their hearts. Take it in your hands. And let them know how much you love them. Heal those wounds. Set them free, Lord. That's what Passover is about, freedom. So we thank you for all these things. We pray protection and guidance in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, say amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we will return to learning about and understanding the fruit of the Spirit. But tonight, because it's the beginning of Passover, I want to focus on Passover and its correlation to the church. Without it? There is no Holy Spirit and fruit to produce. Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary said Passover is the first of the three annual festivals. It commemorates the final plague on Egypt when the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the Israelites were spared because of the blood on the doorpost. Lexham Bible Dictionary says Passover, Pesach, a sacred observance in Judaism that commemorates the climactic Tenth plague in the book of Exodus, when Yahweh punishes Egypt by killing all the firstborn, but passes over the firstborn of Israel. This is the Exodus in chapter 12. We'll go there in a second. Resulting in the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia takes it a little further. The annual Hebrew festival on the evening of the 14th day of the month, Abib, now Nisan, or Nissan, however you want to pronounce it, both ways are acceptable. It was followed by and closely connected with the seven-day festival of unleavened bread, to which the name Passover is also applied by extension, both distinctly connected with the Exodus, which according to tradition they commemorate. Passover being an imitation of the last meal in Egypt, eaten in preparation for the journey while Jehovah passing over the houses of the Hebrews 
was slaying the firstborn of Egypt because Pharaoh would not let them go. The festival of unleavened bread brings in memory the first days of the journey in which the bread of haste was eaten. If you think about this, and talk about it here in a second, Egypt, there were people in Egypt that were not evil. They didn't do those things to the children of Israel, but because of the concept of corporate guilt, because of what Pharaoh had done, every firstborn suffered. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Start out with verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two-doored post and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, they only may be prepared by you. For you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. 
whether he's a stranger or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Pretty serious about this stuff when he says something over and over. Now, we know that the leaven of the Pharisees is talked about, and to us it's a spiritual thing, but it's also a physical thing. It's also mentioned again in Leviticus 23.5 that on the 14th day of the first month, which is either Abib or Nisan or twilight, is the Lord's Passover. That's what has begun tonight, the Lord's Passover. Mentioned again in Deuteronomy 16 about the Lord's Passover, how he brought you out of Egypt. Now, Exodus is the original orders. Deuteronomy is the reminder. It's the orders reviewed. See, I don't know what it is about us. For all our intelligence, we need to be reminded. We just don't seem to get it on one time. Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And it goes on to explain about the sacrifices and and what you're supposed to do. And you may not sacrifice the Passover within your gates, but at the place which the Lord chooses to make his name abide. For Yeshua, it was on Calvary. It was outside the gates. This memorial is something especially, uh, it's established to remind people of a person or event. Passover is a memorial every year, all the time. Because as I said, we need to be reminded of what the Lord God has done or we become lax and take it for granted. And then... Even if you do all of that, it becomes a ritual, a ceremonial habit without the heart behind it. What I'm hoping tonight as we do this, that it's not a ritual. It's not. It's something you feel passionate about. It was to them. It was to them. We'll talk about that more. I'm just stirred up. And that first and seventh day holy convocation, there was no work to be done except as was necessary for the preparation of the food. It was all about the Lord. Just think if we did that. Just think as we, we as his church, grafted into the vine, if we took that day, the Sabbath, and just made it all about him. Now, I, I do. My my wife does. My Members of my family do. I've, I've helped others to do it as well. Not as religion, not as ritual, but as a loving separation that that day is about him. It's all about Yeshua. If you've never done it, I ask you to try it. You'll see a change in your life. You'll see a change in your spirituality. It's easy for you to say, Richard, I know, wasn't it? You'll see a change in that. You'll see a change in your life and your relationship with the Lord. This was important, an important event in the history of Israel. The two greatest uh, reforming kings in Judah, Hezekiah and Josiah, each held a great Passover to mark the return of Israel to faithful worship and the recognition of their Lord and God in Second Chronicles 30. And this 
festivals continued forever throughout the history of God's people as a memory of this salvation event. And in addition to the the feast celebrated by Hezekiah and Josiah, a great Passover was held in the plains of Jericho after the Israelites returned from the Babylonian exile in Ezra. Um, the the uh, exile was in Ezra, but here we see in Joshua chapter 5, starting verse 10. Now as the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. When God brings you into your promised land, even though the enemy's there, even though the enemy had the land before you, he'll feed you from it. Now, it's impossible for Israel to identify herself without celebrating Passover, without commemorating her salvation and deliverance from Egypt. It's a celebration of the birth of Israel. Now, soon we'll talk about Pentecost, which is the birth of the church and the two tied together. But the Hebrew word, pasach, means leave or spare by passing over. It illustrates the physical passing over by the angel of the Lord who killed all the firstborn on that night, putting the blood on the lentil and the doorpost. That's where we get the phrase, which I'm tending, tending not to use it as much as I used to, but you hear people say, I plead the blood. They're talking about the blood on the doorpost and the lentil. But we should always live that way. It shouldn't be something, oh, I've got to do this again. No, we should live. We're marked by the blood. We're changed. But for them that day, they had to put it on the entrance, on the authority of that home, the the front door, the things that support it, the thing that covers it, so that the Lord would willing pass, willingly pass over them that night and go to the houses of the Egyptians and the firstborn sons would face death. That sounds harsh and cold and heartless. I have news for you folks. If someone or something becomes the enemy of God, the enemy of the Lord, then that's what they will suffer, which is why you want to be in right relationship, which is why you want to help others to be in right relationship. It's important to be marked by the blood. See, Passover is also mentioned very often in the New Testament. In God's wisdom, his mercy, and his prophetic plans, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, became the human Passover lamb of God, slain slain on the cross for his people and for the Gentiles that would accept it. That's what it's about. That's what I commemorate. Oh, I, I recognize what he did for Israel in Egypt. I recognize the in-your-face destruction of the gods and the fallen angels behind those gods. But it was a foreshadowing. It was a precursor to the real deal, 
to the real salvation experience, to the real destruction of bondage, the cross. But that lamb, the lamb of God, John says, Revelation 5, starting verse 11, And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. See, even the angels sing about it. The Lamb that was slain. John chapter 1, starting verse 29. Let me remind you again. I said it last time, and I'm going to do it again. You may not be able to keep up. That's fine. I don't really expect you to. It would be great if you did. But you should be writing down the scriptures or going back and listening to it again. I think I may have said this. I was going to put a list up on the website of every scripture I use, and I thought, you know what? That's making it too easy. You need to know where they are in your Bible, and you need to be able to flip your Bible to find those areas. So John chapter 1, starting verse 29. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Yeshua coming towards him. And said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have testified, seen and testified, that this is the Son of God. Now what was so unique about it? All throughout the Old Testament we see the Spirit descend upon people, use them, and withdraw. But for the first time, the Spirit has descended upon someone and stayed there. And that's what happened after Pentecost. The Spirit came down and endued us with power, died into us, soaked into us, never to to leave and go back and forth. He's always with you. But this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Son of God. That's really, for us, what Passover is about. I understand what Israel is doing. I acknowledge what they're doing. But I understand what it really means. And I pray that their eyes would be open so that they would too. They would see Isaiah 53. They would see that it prophesied, Yeshua, it prophesied what would happen to him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That inbred sin that Adam activated was taken and laid upon Yeshua, the Lamb of God, the one ordained by God, the sacrificial offering, His only begotten Son. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, even though he's an apostle and a disciple and he's saying this, we are all given that ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Messiah. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is why the world doesn't want this message. This is why if you go on the news or you get interviewed, they tell you what you can and can't say. Now, for a period of time, I was on the news, and I learned how to speak in sound bites, and I learned how to sneak the word and the name and scripture and faith and things into what I said so that they couldn't cut it out. They'd have to cut the whole thing. But the world doesn't want that because the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And the media, mainstream, Hollywood, all of it's under the control of the fallen. But if we shine the light, if we speak the word, if we live it, people will hear it. People will see it and they will be changed. And therefore we become ambassadors for Messiah. The purpose of Passover is the transference of our sins onto him. The enemy doesn't want people forgiven. Oh, he believes in his warped, depraved mind that he's going to win. But in the back of his mind, he figures, well, even if I don't, I'm taking as many with me into the lake of fire as I possibly can. And it's my goal to make sure that doesn't happen. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. They didn't stop talking about it. They didn't ignore it. They didn't take out the Jewishness of it like they did in 325 um, A.D. in the Council of Nicaea and try to separate the fact that he's Jewish, it's Jewish, we're grafted into the vine. No, they kept talking about it. They kept teaching it. Hebrews 11.28. By faith, he, and they're talking about Moses here, kept the Passover 
and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith Moses kept the first Passover, and the firstborn of Israel were preserved from death. But see, even, even in the crucifixion, Passover was fulfilled. Because if you look at Exodus twelve forty six, it says, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break any of its bones. It says that again in Numbers nine twelve, They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones, according to all the ordinances of the Passover. They shall keep it. Prophecy must be fulfilled and it must be followed. Now, after the destruction of the temple, Passover became a home event, a home service. And a Passover lamb was no longer included. So in the Jews, Jewish home, a roasted bone was placed on the table in memory of the ceremony. But remember, I said prophecy must happen. Prophecy promotes prophecy. And it must be done, as he said. John 19. Starting verse 31, this is during the crucifixion. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high holy day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. If you remember the crucifixion, the nails went through your wrist and through your ankles, and they put you on there in such a way that to breathe, you'd have to push up on your uh, pierced ankles to catch your breath, and then you would drop down onto the wrist that are held up by the nails, and you would do this back and forth to catch your breath until finally it, you would suffocate. But because, and that could take days. They didn't have time for that. So they wanted to break the legs of those on the cross so that they could no longer push up to grab for air. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came, To Yeshua, and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And what that meant was they pierced the heart. There was no more blood left, just water. And he who has seen has testified. Because John was there. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Prophecy is so important to the Father 
that even in the crucifixion and torture of his only son, he made sure that prophecy was fulfilled recently. The Lord said something to me. I wasn't sure I was going to share it. He says, my children believe in prophecy, but they spend so much time trying to interfere it, interfere with it and stop it. Folks, we can't stop prophecy. We should pray. We should accept it. When you see the signs of the times, when you see what's going on in the world, and you know what prophecy says, you should be looking up because your redemption draws nigh. You shouldn't be trying to stop it or get in the way of it or, or whatever. You should be recognizing it for what it is, a sign that the Lord is coming. So Passover was important enough that even the Lord himself observed it. You can read about it in Matthew 26, Luke 22, or John chapter 2, but I'll take you just two places. First, Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Yeshua, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher, or Rabbi, Rabbi says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did just as Yeshua directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Jumping down to verse 26, And as they were eating, Yeshua took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Oh, what a day. We see it again in Luke 22, starting verse 7. And the day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover must be, then came the day of the unleavened bread. It's hard to see through these tears. I don't know why. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, My teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may, meet, may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it, just as he had said to them, and prepared the Passover. Now we know from commentaries that this is the house of John Mark, or the the book of the writer of the book of Mark. That was his father's house, and that same upper room is where we see them on the day of Pentecost. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, divide it amongst yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. He was celebrating Passover with his disciples. And he updated things by turning the Last Supper into a context of Passover. Now, some believe it takes the place of Passover. I don't, uh, that's up to you, and whatever you want to do with the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. We've done both. We've done the Passover Seder, we've done the meal. But any proper interpretation must seek to understand the, this Last Supper in light of the context that it was a Passover meal full of symbolism and redemptive history. Now, during the Passover meal in the Jewish home, someone, usually the youngest son, will be designated to ask the question, why is this night different from all other nights? And at this point, the host would retell the story of Israel's deliverance out of Egypt and the meaning of the various elements of the meal. As the host of the Last Supper, Yeshua would have retold the story. He was establishing the parallels and the connection between the two. He is the Lamb. How do we take this out? How do we ignore the correlations? How do we ignore the connections? Well, I'll tell you how. Mostly it's done through anti-Semitism, through manipulation, through the enemy's hand on things, taking out the truth and, and nullifying the spirit. 1 Corinthians 11, starting verse 23, For I have received this from the Lord, Paul says, that which I also delivered to you, that Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what this is about. When you take communion, it's not a ritual. You are proclaiming the Lord's death as Messiah until he returns. Because without the blood, there is no remission of sins. Without the blood, without the cross, you're not saved. You're not healed. You're not delivered. Your journey starts at a bloody cross. And it takes you 
to an empty tomb because he is a risen Savior. He is not here. He has risen. And then from there, you go with others to the upper room where the fire falls from heaven and fills you and changes you. Will you become the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly, called to him by faith and relationship? But now you are meant to understand more fully what all of this means, what the Passover means. This is not just a day of the year. This is not a celebration for somebody else. That on this day, the lamb is slain. And that the bread represents the incarnation when the word became flesh and bore our sins in his body to redeem the world. We can't forget that. Now the practice of the early church in celebrating the Lord's Supper, they did so on more than just a yearly basis because they understood the the admonition, do this in remembrance of me. That when you take communion, which if you don't, you should do for the next seven days, starting tomorrow with unleavened bread, go to your local supermarket, get yourself some matzah. They even make gluten-free matzah, and it tastes really good. And take communion. Do it in remembrance of him. Remember why you're doing it. The Passover purpose was that Israel and then us would remember the day as a memorial of when they came out of the bondage, the land of Egypt. Yeshua's intercessory death and his inauguration of a new covenant is meant to be remembered in like manner. That's why Isaiah 53, an area that the the Jews are told to ignore, it's the forbidden chapter. Because all of the prophecy in Isaiah 53 can only be attributed to one person. There's actually a video online on YouTube. If you want it, uh, write to me and I'll get you the link of a messianic ministry in Israel, Jews that are there, who go and talk to people on the street, and they ask them about Isaiah 53. And many people are very fascinated, and they see the correlations, and they're very curious. Every now and then you get an Orthodox believer who becomes violent when he realizes he's been backed into a corner and must admit that there's only one man who fits the description. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And it goes on, and you should read Isaiah 53 and do, do a study on it. But he's talking about, the prophet Isaiah is talking about Jesus of Nazareth. First Peter chapter 2, starting verse 23, And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he was suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you are like sheep going astray. But I have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's what this week, that's what this weekend is about. And I look back in my early days and out of ignorance, some of the things I believed, some of the things I celebrated or accepted as good, while they were good, they were not God. Just remember, everything God is good, but not everything good is of God. But what we are memorializing, what we are celebrating, is that for God so loved the world that he, owned, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, died for their sins, rose from the grave, shall be healed, shall be set free, shall be forgiven. All four gospel accounts of the Last Supper contain a word concerning the future, a word we've talked about here on the porch. And though Luke's wording varies and is exceptional in its placement before the bread, the synoptic Gospels bear unified witness to Yeshua's words. I say to you, I shall not in any way drink any longer from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. At the marriage supper of the Lamb shall be a celebration, and the wine that shall be poured will be the best wine in all the universe. No wine has ever been created that will be as good as that wine at that marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's when he will lift the cup and drink again with us. Yeshua did not see his passion as a, as a tragedy or an error. But the crowning act of his ministry, what he was born for, to pour out his blood as a once-for-all sacrifice, securing the redemption for many. 
a glorious consummation in the future. Oh, and people will tell you he didn't come to die. Oprah Winfrey will tell you, oh, he didn't come to die and shed blood and all that stuff. Stop listening to these fools. Oh, they may have a lot of money and they may be really famous and they may have been put into power to say what they say. But folks, let's stop listening to fools. Let's listen to the word. Let's listen to the spirit. Let's accept what it says and embrace it. Embrace it. But every action in prophecy was required by the Father to fulfill his promises and prophecy, even down to the baptism of, of Yeshua. In Matthew 3, when John tries to talk him out of it, he says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? And Yeshua says, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Memorial, remember I said it's something, especially a structure established to remind people of a person or an event. You think that's what Passover is about? You think that's what the resurrection celebration is about? You're being reminded of a person and an event. Because truthfully, truthfully, we need to be reminded of what the Lord God has done for us or we become lax and begin to take it for granted. I don't take it for granted. You've heard me talk about it here on, on, on the porch many, many times over the 13 years we've been around. I never take the cross for granted. I never take the, the beating and the scourging and what he suffered for me for granted. And you know, many in the in the church, many of the church, let's put it that way, many believers think that the Lord's Supper has superseded the ancient Passover ceremony. But it's grown since I've become saved, especially over the last decade or so, that there are believers who celebrate the Passover, who celebrate a Messianic Seder, who understand the symbolism and what it means, and who connects the New Testament experience to the Old Testament ceremony. And as I was studying this and working on this today, I saw something for the first time, which is pretty cool when you've been doing this as long as I have. And what's funny is, this would be about the time that I'd pick up the phone and call Pastor Shelley and say, hey, I just saw something new, and, and I would share it with him, and either he would know it or he'd go, oh, that's good, that's good, let's talk about that, and we would talk about it. Well, can't do that, but someday. In John chapter 2, starting verse 13, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now what happened, millions would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they would bring their own lambs, their own doves. They would bring their own things to sacrifice, and they would show them to the priest, oh, no, 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 this one has a blemish. This one's not good enough. You should buy this one. And they'd rip people off, and they'd overcharge them. And so Yeshua sees this. He made a whip out of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, and he overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. Even that was prophesied. His response to the commercial aspects of religion offended him as it does now because zeal, love, and concern for his father's house and its honor consumes him. But see, that's what Passover reminds me, that we are his house. We are his temple. And he has an eternal zeal for it and for us. And he doesn't like it when he sees that we're getting ripped off by those who preach the gospel for profit. And the thing I like about this story is that not a temple guard, not a Roman guard, nobody tried to stop him. This wasn't some mamby-pamby preacher This was a man's man. This was a strong, masculine man. And I said that to be sarcastic about the whole toxic masculinity concept today. He's passionate for you. He has a zeal, a love, a concern for you as the house and the temple of his father and of the Holy Spirit. And it consumes him. So as you celebrate over these next couple of days and this weekend, feel that love. Feel that passion. Embrace it. Accept it. You may think you're not worthy of it. And truthfully, you're not. But that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor, and he's doing it because he loves you. Take that unworthiness and offer it up to him and let him take it away. For he died for you. Lord, Adonai Yeshua, Messiah. I pray that my brothers and sisters would know that passion that you have for them. Would know that feeling that you have for them. That they would feel it maybe for the first time. The fire of your love enveloping them, burning them clean, reminding them of why you endured what you did for them so that they could be restored to Abba, to the Father, that they would have the right to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, redeemed, clean, made whole, And until we get out of these broken bodies, it's only a spiritual thing, but we long for the day that the whole thing is completed, that we are one. 
Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to understand this. Help us to receive this. Help us to feel this. Let every false teaching, let every lie, let everything that's been put upon us, whether intentionally or through ignorance, be taken away so that we can walk in the freedom of Passover. We can walk in the freedom of the Last Supper. We can walk in the freedom of the cross and show the world the truth about who you are that we could be your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation. Now, if you're listening, by some chance, and you are not born again, and you would like to be reconciled to your Heavenly Father, that you would like this relationship with the Lord that I'm talking about, that is stirring in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, that Yeshua, that Jesus is Lord, that he's Messiah, that he died for your sins. Confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart. You shall be saved. Because with the mouth is confession, the belief in the heart, and it creates this dynamic explosion inside of us that I believe even affects us on a DNA level. Just say, Yeshua, I make you Lord of my life. I accept what you did for me on the cross. I believe that you've risen from the dead. And I make you Lord of my life. And we, all of us, touch and agree with you. Those of us that know, those of us that are of the family, we agree with you. And we say amen, welcome to the family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, may Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.